I want to welcome all of you that watch online to the North Richland Hills campus of the Hills, where for all three of our campuses, it is Renew Weekend. One weekend a year, we give away every dollar we offer. We give them to ministries that we know about, that we believe in because they are Christ-centered and because they bring beauty out of brokenness. If you have not, I would encourage you to go to the website and watch the videos because every ministry has one as powerful as we just witnessed. In fact, as I watched them, I would have to stop and collect myself before I could go and watch another one. And so for the first year ever, I've just decided this year that I'm going to give to every single ministry. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. I am saying that that's how strongly I believe in the mission of every one of these opportunities that you have a chance to bless through Renew. Because what Renew does is help people escape bondage. And that's what the whole Alive and Free series has been about. That we weren't created for tyranny. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he rose from the dead, he wasn't just saying Come out of the grave of your sins. But he was saying, get out of the grave clothes and experience all the freedom in Christ that has been purchased for you. And so today, I want to address what I think is the biggest prison of all. And we've all spent time as inmates. I'm talking about the prison of greed and the evidence of a culture of greed is everywhere. Just recently, I saw in the paper that in February 2015, just three months ago, Barbara Bagley won the right to sue herself. The Utah Court of Appeals ruled that she could legally sue herself for her own negligent driving that cost the life of her husband. She has determined that she should seek compensation from the insurance company for wrongful death damages that she created. And so if the lawsuit goes forward, she will receive a settlement for the damages she caused. And we live in a world where this kind of story Seems normal. Because the prison of greed is enormous. And we've all been inmates. Even preachers. So there's a story of the two guys stranded on a desert island. And the first is frantic, digging for water, looking for food, screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. But the second guy just casually leaned up against a palm tree and started to take a nap. And the first guy says, why aren't you helping me look for food and water? We could die. And the second guy says, I'm not worried. I make $100,000 a week. And the first guy says, who cares how much money you make? We have no food and no water and we're going to die. And the second guy says, you don't get it. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe. My pastor will find me. <laughs> you see, greed is no respecter of persons. 
Greed doesn't care what color you are. Greed doesn't care how much schooling you have. Greed doesn't care about your gender, your class, your economic status. The virus of greed infects everybody. But most treat the virus like a common cold, like it's a nuisance, but I've got more pressing conditions to deal with, and in so doing, we fail to deal with the root of much of our bondage. And I use that word on purpose because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, there's all kinds of garbage and stuff in your life that's oppressing you that you're dealing with, but there's a root that you haven't diagnosed yet, the root of greed. You see, greed lies behind most of our bigger problems. And I use that word on purpose, and I'll explain why in a moment. So, for example, an antique dealer goes into an old junk store And to his stunned amazement, he sees on the ground an ancient vase from the Ming Dynasty that is priceless, being used as a saucer for a cat. He cannot let the owner of the store understand or see his excitement, so he says, you know, that cat looks a lot like the one my daughter just lost. She's heartbroken. I want to buy that cat and take it home to her. You don't want that cat. It's just an old alley cat. I insist. He picked up the cat, pulled out five $100 bills, gave them to the junk store owner and says, I'm not taking no for an answer. And the guy says, okay, it's your cat. He says, now I'm going to need something to use to feed it, so why don't you just throw in that saucer for $5? And the junk store owner said, no way. That saucer's from the Ming Dynasty. It's priceless. But ever since I started using it for milk, I've sold 18 cats. And so many of the bad decisions we wind up making have their root in the prison of greed. In fact, I'm going to contend today that until you get out of the prison of greed, you may not be able to get out of the other prison that you're more aware of. This series seems to be resonating. We've had 2,500 cards turned in from people saying, I am tired of living with this kind of bondage. But as I looked over so many of those cards, I saw that underneath many of them was the root of greed. I've preached long enough to know that greed and money problems are behind so much of the marital strife that's tearing apart families. Some of you mentioned I'm in bondage to debt, but it doesn't matter how much financial counseling you get. If you don't escape greed, you'll stay in bondage to debt. Many of you have mentioned self-esteem problems. And I understand because we live in a culture that tells us that our self-worth is related to our net worth. And some of you are never going to escape the prison of poor self-esteem until you escape the prison of greed. And one of the largest numbers of cards was over the issues of bondage to fear and worry. And I get that. And the reason we are afraid and We worry is because we don't have any control over tomorrow. And greed promises that it can handle tomorrow. It's a lie and it puts us in prison. By the way, greed lies behind most of the bigger problems in church too. In Acts chapter 5, a couple pretended to be generous when they weren't. You've heard of Christians that were hypocrites. The root problem was greed. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, I cannot believe you got people in church suing each other. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that so many of the fights brothers and sisters have with each other, even though they baptize it with better words, really is about money issues. In James chapter 2, the rich were getting treated better than the poor. So much of the bigotry, the racism, the sexism that still oppresses our world is rooted in greed. And Jesus could see when we couldn't. He could detect the virus when we didn't know it was there. So one time a man comes up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, my dad died and my brother and I are arguing over the inheritance. Would you be the arbiter? And Jesus detected the virus. He said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And it's interesting to me that Jesus never had to say, now beware of adultery. Beware of drunkenness or fighting or stealing because we can self-diagnose those conditions. But despite evidence of symptoms, nobody thinks they have a greed problem. A couple of years ago, Millard Fuller, who directs Habitat for Humanity, was with a bunch of pastors and they were talking about the problem of poverty. And all the pastors agree that God has given his people enough resources to make a huge dent in the problem of poverty. But we hoard and we are just too greedy. And then Millard Fuller asked a rather innocuous question. He said, is it possible to build a house that is so big that it is offensive to God? And all the pastors said, yes, it is. And then he followed up with this question. At what point does a house get so big it would be a sin to live in it? And the room got very quiet. And finally one pastor had the courage to say what everyone was thinking. When it is bigger than my house. You see, we see greed in other people. We spot greed all over the place. We just can't see it in the mirror. We can't detect our own infection. Even though the symptoms are obvious to other people. Do you plan your life more around finances than the will of God? That's a symptom. Do you find your mind wandering to the next material thing you would like to have Instead of a spiritual goal, God would like you to pursue. That's a symptom. Do you just prefer to be around people with a lot than people with a little? Do you get anxious when the preacher says he's going to do a series on money and giving? Do you struggle to enjoy the prosperity that someone else has? Do you struggle to enjoy what you have without needing more to be happy? That's one reason why we prepare every week these questions 
I want you to go deeper with this lesson. I want you to get with your family or a small group. And I want you to do some serious reflection. Because it is a huge prison. Jesus brilliantly illustrated what greed looks like. So he told that guy, beware of greed. And then he tells a story about a man. And here's the thing. In this story, this man is in captivity. Yet most of us would trade for his reality in a heartbeat. He's a farmer. Has an awesome year. His fields produce more than he can store in his barn. So he's got a problem. What am I going to do with the excess? And he thinks, I'll just build a bigger barn. And I'll have so much, I can retire and have every party I want to have the rest of my life. Doesn't that sound like the American dream? Isn't that what you want for your child to graduate from college, to start a business, to sell it for millions, to retire early and travel the world? What he didn't understand was that he had a bigger problem than he realized. Because Jesus ends the story like this, but God, and by the way, anytime a sentence starts with, but God, you need to get nervous. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. But is not rich toward God. See greed is not about what you have. It's about what has you and your heart. So I'm going to ask you three questions today. And here's the first. Am I building A barn or a prison with my life. Because sometimes a prison looks just like a brand new barn. Greed's a prison. And here's why. Because greed ties our hearts to small stuff. Greed exalts self. This man says, I'll say, I'll have, I'll do. And whenever we make ourselves most important, we inevitably make small stuff more important than it ought to be. We exchange God's big mission for trivia. That's what greed does. Greed pushes God to the side. You may have heard the story of the preacher that got a call from another church saying, we will double your salary if you will come be our pastor. So he came home and told his wife and said, I must go upstairs to the bedroom and spend time in prayer with God and seek his will. And she said, that's wonderful, honey. I'll come up and pray with you. He said, no, you stay down here and start packing. (laughs) What greed does is it doesn't erase God, but it will replace God. That man said, 
My barn will give me an identity and it will give me security against tomorrow and it will make sure I'm happy. He was looking to small stuff to do what only God can do. God is always displaced wherever greed is displayed. Now you tweet that because one of your friends needs to hear that. Whenever you see a display of greed, You are witnessing at some measure a displacing of God. That's why, for example, Colossians 3, 5 says, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of this world. An idolater isn't someone that gets on their knees in front of a block of stone or wood. An idolater is someone that says, I'm going to look to something or to someone to do for me what only God can ultimately deliver. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And when Scripture talks about being kept out of the kingdom of God because you're greedy, it's not just talking about the next life. Greed locks us into the prison of our petty little empires, and it keeps our hearts from engaging the mission of God for which we were created. So, a little later, Jesus tells a story about another rich guy. He's got a big house and got a fence around it and a big gate. And by that gate was a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus needed help. Lazarus was not a cheat. Lazarus was not trying to work the system. Lazarus was a good man in bad times. And he needed some help. But the gate locked him out. But it did more than that. It locked the rich man in. It became his prison, keeping him. Him from the mission and the purpose of God. And the story ends with the rich man being sent to an eternal prison. But do you see, it was simply a continuation of the prison he had already chosen. And this is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Because life is a bigger matter than simply the accumulation of more matter. Now, if you don't believe in the God story, you disagree with what I just said. If you think that you are simply a few billion years of evolved pond scum then it's smart for you to build the biggest barn you can build and fill it full of as much junk as you can until you die and your kids argue about it. But if we exist on purpose, then surely it is for a bigger purpose than to just have a bigger barn. And so here's the second question. 
Am I pursuing the good life or a good life? And the problem is not what we make. The problem is what we miss when we live inside the prison of greed. So be rich toward God. You say, how do I do that? I can't write a check to God. No, but you can write one to Lazarus. You give to the God you cannot see by helping the child of God that you can see. So 1 John 3 says, if someone has enough money to live well, And sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? The chains of greed are broken. When I start to understand that money is not the end. It is the means. That the purpose of my life is not the end of how much stuff I can cram in a barn. But it is, in fact, to bring as much glory to God as I can by being a conduit of his blessings. And so you inoculate yourself against the virus of greed, not so much by taking a vow of poverty, but by taking a vow of generosity. It wasn't wrong for that man to be rich. It wasn't wrong for him to put his harvest in his barn. But once he got to the point that he didn't need this much, why didn't he feed the poor? Why didn't he help Lazarus? Why did he think more square footage was a bigger and better answer. Beware of greed. Beware because it is such a big prison. And beware because almost no one thinks they've ever been in it. But it's real. And it dies. It dies when we help other live. It's hard to say no to greed. In fact, you'll never be able to do it until you find a bigger yes. We weren't meant to live in the bondage of trivial pursuits. Freedom means I can live saying yes to something bigger and better as a mission my life. I was blessed recently by hearing some teaching by Tim Keller. And he referenced the passage in Acts 20 where the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Now, have you ever had a moment in your life where you're saying goodbye to somebody you really love and you might never see them again? That's this moment. Paul loves these men. It's one of those hug and sob like a baby kind of goodbyes. And he's never going to see them again. So what would you say? 
What would your last words be to someone you deeply love that you would never see again? These are Paul's. Now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What an amazing description of a good life. Paul says, remember two things. Embrace the grace of God. And live a radically generous life. And you will have lived well. And so I'm going to ask you one more question. Because the answer to the question reveals your capacity to recognize the virus. Here's the question. In my life, am I living as though I was entitled or entrusted? Because if I'm entrusted, then the purpose of my life is not to build a big old barn and be a dam to the blessings of God, but my life is to be a channel and a conduit of his goodness into the world. I believe we were born again for a bigger reason than to just build a barn again. That we were blessed to be a blessing. And that's why I love the chance to participate in Renew. Every one of these ministries brings beauty out of brokenness. Every one of these ministries is led by people of integrity. They are fiscally responsible. And they honor Christ. And in God's wonderful economy, when we deliver a blessing... We get a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Or to put it another way. When we free others, we keep ourselves out of prison. Richard Stern is the head of World Vision, one of the largest Christian relief organizations in the world. As a young man, he experienced rather phenomenal early success. He was the chairman of the Linux China Company, even in his 30s, with all the perks that went with a high-paying job. When he got called by World Vision to come and be the leader, and this would mean an enormous reduction in salary and lifestyle. And after wrestling with God, he said yes, moved his family to Seattle. Nine months later, he's in the van with his teenage son. And a 
Brand new Jaguar pulls up next to the van, the kind that he used to drive as a company car. And his son says, Dad, I guess those days are gone, aren't they? And Richard said, yes, son, they are. And then his son said, now listen to these words, Dad, do you think you'll ever get back in the game for one more big kill? And Richard said, Andy, I think for the first time in my life, I'm finally in the real game. I'm in God's game. And you can be too. Just know that in God's game, they don't measure winning by the size of the barn. Would you stand up? We're about to collect our offerings for Renew. And I ask you to stand because I like to stand when I worship. And what we are about to do is worship. Because we are about to be rich toward God. And so if you'll take your places, if you are collecting the offering, I'm going to pray. And we're going to worship And we are going to give. So, dear God, would you increase our passion for the beautiful ministry of giving? Would you increase our wisdom so that we could steward better what we've been entrusted with? But especially today, would you increase our joy At the privilege of getting to partner with your mission. And dear Jesus, thank you for giving everything for us. May what we do now honor your name. Amen.